You know, it's, there's an there's interesting thing in life that I find so often that, actually, I'll just quote it because T.S. Eliot said it best. What we call the beginning is often the end. And to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. There are many things in life that are this way. The end of something is the beginning of another thing. The end of pregnancy is the beginning of parenthood. The end of your life is the beginning of eternity if you've made some right decisions or a decision. And, you know, not always, but a lot of things in life go that way. For Israel, it was certainly that. The end of slavery was the beginning of freedom. That's kind of obvious. But there was a much more significant ending and beginning for Israel. And it was at Mount Sinai. It was seemingly the end of the journey. I mean, we had come out of Egypt, been delivered, sanctified, salvified. We've been saved. We've been taken through. And now we're on this journey to Mount Sinai. So that's the end. We get the Torah. But that is absolutely not the end. What is it? It's the beginning. It's actually the beginning of the journey with God. And, and that's actually also what we're still doing right now. And when we, Darren talked last night, uh, yesterday, Darren talked one day about, um, about the Omer. Last week he did that, and he did a tremendous job of talking about what it means for us on this 50-day journey as we're working our way to Shavuot. This hasn't um, lost any of its significance because it's a personal time, and we're headed toward that. And, you know, Shavuot in Judaism, the giving of the Torah, that's a, that's a pretty big deal, Right? I mean, that was the point at which God fulfilled this, this sort of covenant obligation to Israel. He had said it in Exodus 6. He'd made the promises, the cups, all these things. But that made the covenant. That was the sealing of the marriage between God and the Jewish people. And what, just out of, just out of messianic knowledge quiz, what was the seal of the Mosaic covenant? What was the sign? Shabbat. Shabbat was the sign on Shavuot. That was the continued, uh, uh, like the, the anniversary sort of. And, and it was the wedding ring. And that was some 50 days after the redemption in Egypt, right? But we all know that something, we might even say bigger happened on a Shavuot some years later. And, you know, at least as big, 50 days after Yeshua's resurrection in Jerusalem on a very famous mountain in a very, very famous place. It was a very, very big deal. And it is what the disciples actually were waiting for. You know, you know that that's what they were waiting for, right? Why were they waiting for that? Because Yeshua told them to wait for that. He gave them these specific instructions. And this, this beginning statement, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, 
And he goes on to say, listen, you need to stay and wait for this. It's really, really important. And so in Acts 1, Luke opens that book by saying, Theophilus, about all I wrote in the first account about all that Yeshua did and taught until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he'd given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. These he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. Listen to this. Appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things of what? The kingdom of God. Even after Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection, he's still talking about the kingdom. He wasn't talking about going to heaven, he was, but that's a side note. That's another message, I'm sorry. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, not many days from now. And it wasn't many days from now, from then, it was 10 days later. In Jerusalem, something that affects all of us, something bigger than Torah. And of course, it's what? Pentecost is the, is the name you know it by, right? Pentecost, 50 days, the giving of the Spirit, evidenced by the miracles that took place there. But this is really one of the most powerful connectors in the Bible, and I say that all the time, I know. Last week, it was the greatest shadow of the Messiah in the Bible, and I say that all the time. Why is that? Because the Bible is full of great connectors when you know how to read it, and when you can make the historical connections and the biblical and the Israel connections. This is one of them, though. The giving of the Torah on Shavuot, the giving of the Holy Spirit on Shavuot. Thank you, Dana. Pentecost is a nice Greek word. Shavuot, Shavuot, or as Dave said, Shaviot, but there's a U in there. Shavuot. When the day of Pentecost, when Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. The connectors within that little bit of text from Acts 2 connected back to Mount Sinai are amazingly clear. On Mount Sinai, the people were prepared for something, something amazing that was coming. God said to Moses, have them ready for the third day. On that mountain in Jerusalem, Yeshua said, stay in Jerusalem and wait for what's coming, this amazing thing. The people prepared themselves with what tradition says was immersion before the receiving of the Torah. How did Yeshua describe the receiving of the Holy Spirit? As a baptism, as an immersion. There were tongues of fire in Jerusalem. There was thunder and lightning, rushing winds in Jerusalem and Mount Sinai, and it all just beautifully comes together. And the voice of God was speaking from Mount Sinai to all the nations in 70 tongues. And what was happening in Jerusalem, they're speaking in all languages to the nations represented there. Is that clear enough of a connection between God being in the one and also in the other. It's amazingly beautiful. But something happened that day and is still happening. 
T.S. Eliot's quote comes to play. What we call the beginning is often the end. And as I read that Acts text, you might not know it. You might not be thinking it. But for most believers in Yeshua, at that very moment, a connection, the connection, was terminated, severed, ended. Why? What is this? It was definitely a beginning in Shavuot and Jerusalem. What changed? Soon the nations would be included, right? The Holy Spirit was it was inside of people. That's what Yeshua had said would happen. And that he would use that spirit to go out into all the world. It was definitely a beginning of something new. And the, the apostles would know that very soon in Acts 10 and Acts 15. They'd begin to see all these miracles happening through the Holy Spirit. But it was not supposed to be an ending as well. It was not supposed to be that. You probably wouldn't think about this if you weren't sitting in a Messianic synagogue, and someone might need to point this out to you, but that's what I'm here for. No problem. <laughs> this severing, this ending, this, this disconnection didn't happen overnight. It took a few decades. We began to see it even in the first century with some of the writings of the early Christian fathers. Then over the centuries and the councils and all kinds of things that began to make the break even further. And then now, millennia later, it's quite obvious that there is virtually no recollection or connection for the majority of the body of believers to the giving of the Torah in Mount, on Mount Sinai and the giving of the Spirit on Shavuot. Now you're saying, oh my goodness, man, I know all this. I know because you're sitting in a Messianic synagogue. You know it, but a lot of people don't. And I would love to help you be able to clearly explain to them some of the things about why it's still so very important and connected. It's a radical shift. And it's very, very important because of all the theological things that happened after that. I mean, just that one small section of text I read you from Acts about tongues... Have you ever seen that taken out of context or abused? Of course not. No one would do that. It has led to some serious mass confusion in the body of believers. Theological mass confusion about the Holy Spirit and our interaction with it. And again, for much of the believing world, something died that day. Something that needed to die and something was born, something that needed to begin, an end and a beginning. And so, for, 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 for fun, since it's just us in here today, and you guys in here, I want you to tell me from what I'm reading here, what I'm about to read you, from St. Teresa's Catholic Church, that I found online. And I don't just go and look for the worst example of things online that I can bring in here. I look up a lot of things. What I find is a representative text of a number of opinions. I want you to tell me from what I'm going to read you, what began at Shavuot? Okay, here's what it says. And there's no trick questions. 
If you just listen, the answer will jump out at you. Pentecost Sunday is one of the most ancient feasts of the church, celebrated early enough to be mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles and in St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. It's the 50th day after Easter, and it supplants the Jewish feast of Pentecost, which took place 50 days after the Passover and which celebrated the sealing of the Old Covenant in Mount Sinai. This is why Pentecost is often called the birthday of the church. On this day, with the descent of the Holy Spirit, Christ's mission is completed and the new covenant is inaugurated. It's interesting to note that St. Peter, the first pope, was already the leader and spokesman for the apostles on Pentecost Sunday. So what was born on Pentecost Sunday? Darren, you're disqualified from answering these questions. <laughs> but Darren just told you the answer. What was born? The birthday of the church. Pentecost. Why? Because the Holy Spirit showed up. Hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know that it started that way. So I'm curious, what did that look like? Because, um, for, well, one simple question, how many Gentiles from the church do you think were there that day? How many, how many church fathers do you think were sitting in the stands as Peter's speaking in tongues? I, I don't know the answer to that. There may have been some observers for sure. But overall, we can read the text and hear Peter saying, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem. Later, he says, men of Israel, hearken to these words. Then he says, brethren. And he does make a beautiful prophetic statement in his words when Peter says, for the promises for you and your children. Who do you think he's talking to when he says that? All the people that he just previously addressed, men of Israel, brethren, but don't listen. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord, our God, will call to himself. Do you remember how Paul describes the Gentiles in Ephesians too? those who were far off have been brought near to the commonwealth of Israel? So Peter's prophesying, probably under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It could be. It could be. That was, in my opinion, and many others, a, a prophetic statement of the inclusion of the Gentiles. That was the beginning of it. But they weren't there that day. Augustine, I don't even know when Augustine lived. He didn't live then, I don't think. But, I mean, those guys weren't there. And there were no red velvet pews set up with, you know, a cross engraved on the wood part at the end. And, you know, somebody didn't walk through with the white bucket collecting the offering. It wasn't church. I'm being sarcastic. That's and maybe not nice. These were Jews in Jerusalem for what? The festival of Shavuot. They didn't really know what was about to happen, but man, it happened. And it was a big thing. Well, yes, of course, Rabbi, I get that. But, but you need to continue to read the text. It, it does say that they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which means they became Christians right away. True. First part. 
They were baptized in the name of Yeshua the Messiah and received the Holy Spirit, it says, according to Peter's instruction, which is, by the way, the whole immersion thing. That's a Jewish thing, as we talked about in the Got Milk series on baptism, right? That's not a new thing. But, but, but it says this, So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Prayers. That S on the end, you know what it does to the singular form of the word? Makes it plural. Why does it say the prayers? I know you're probably sick of me telling you this, but I'm going to say it again. The prayers are the prayers of Judaism that all the people already knew. It doesn't say to prayer, as many translations say. It says the definite article, the prayers. Amidah, some version of it. Shema, the version of it. They dedicated themselves to these things. Yes, but they, they stopped doing a lot of the other Jewish stuff, Rabbi. They, st they started going to home fellowship and Bible study and home church. Well, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. Why would they be going to the temple for the prayers and doing Jewish things? Because that's still what it was, right? Okay, this, this is, may, may be review for you, but it's just important to realize that that is confusion. Because exactly what that says when we say the birth of the church, without having to say it, actually, it, it does say that something new happened, something was born. And I even get it. I understand what's being said very clearly. That this, as I just said, was Peter's prophetic declaration that there was going to be a worldwide gathering of believers who would come in. It's called the ecclesia, the body of the disciples of Yeshua. And, and, and listen, it's not that churches don't know what Shavuot was. Even St. Teresa's Catholic Church mentioned the Old Covenant and Moses. And, and many, many of the sources that I looked at talk about this is where we got Pentecost. This is where we got it. This is the origin. But listen, I appreciated this subtle suggestion from Christianity.com. Modern Christians observe Pentecost as a holiday, not to celebrate a wheat harvest, but to remember when the Holy Spirit invaded the church in Acts. Which one would you rather do? Some dumb old wheat day? Or a spirit-filled power injection in the body of believers. I mean, okay, so it's not that subtle, what he's suggesting. Shavuot was an agricultural festival that did talk about the wheat harvest, but, but a lot more. And it's directly connected to why the Holy Spirit was given on Shavuot. 
It goes back to what I said about Yeshua. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments, so I'm going to give you a helper. But that's a little teaser for later, not today. An ongoing chapter. I'm not going to get there. What do you want me to do? Go out there and wave two, two, <laughs> two loaves of bread at the sky? Are you serious? I'm about to be invaded by the Holy Spirit. It's not the end of a chapter. It is a continuation and expansion of a wonderful, amazing God story that started with the Jewish people on Mount Sinai. And so to the second part of my obvious question, if the church was born, if the church celebrated a birthday on that Shavuot, what might you think died or, or ended? And to make sure you can get the answer, let me just reread St. Teresa's. I'll make it so clear for you. You ready? And it supplants the Jewish feast of Pentecost, which took place 50 days after the Passover, which celebrated the sealing of the Old Covenant in Mount Sinai. What do you think died that day? In, in this opinion, in a majority opinion. I'll tell you. I'll make it easy. It supplants the Jewish feast of Pentecost. Couldn't even, like, use the... Couldn't we have just said it supplants the Jewish feast of at least Shavuot, or Festival of Weeks? The, the Christian Pentecost supplanted the Jewish Pentecost. Doesn't even make sense. But the bigger issue is it's a lie. It's not true. Because the Bible says in Leviticus 23, this is a statute forever in all your settlements throughout your generations. On that same day, you will make a proclamation. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not work at your occupations. He's talking about Shavuot. It will be what is known as a eternal statute. It can't be supplanted. It can't be replaced. But we like that word replace, don't we? It gets used a lot. There's a whole theology surrounding it. Do you know what it's called? <laughs> this is a good illustration with a phrase like that of replacement theology. And it's embedded. Don't, don't even get me started. Like, I, I, I joke about St. Peter being the first pope. I sometimes say, Peter, you know, the first pope. They're serious about it. How, how strange it was that St. Peter, the first pope, was there at Pentecost. Heavens to Murgatroyd, as Snaggletooth used to say. But he said it better. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Remember that cartoon? I love that guy. But, but here's, a, here's a real doozy. This is why Pentecost is often called the birthday of the church. On this day, with the descent of the Holy Spirit, Christ's mission is completed. Now, I know that they know that that's not true in the big picture. Like, there's a lot left to do, right? Yeshua's mission is not completed unless his entire mission centers on you going to heaven. If that's his mission, then it, got, it was completed that day if you accept Yeshua as the Messiah. But his mission is for the world. It's really big. It's kingdom. 
And it's not over yet. He took that cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. And he began it at Passover with his death, burial, and resurrection. But Yeshua's mission is not completed until the kingdom is on earth. Until he's back. And you... you you're removing the story when you say that. You're removing the power. You're taking the fuel out of the gospel. Because there's so much more to Yeshua's mission. And we're participants in that. We're going to be. But anyway, it's, it's really not hard to debunk the idea that the church was born on Pentecost. We can look at the Bible. We can, it, it leans our way on this one. Okay? Uh, we can read the Bible. We can look at history. And, and it's not difficult. But there's a very different end and beginning that I want to look at over the next few weeks, which will actually take us into the festival of Shavuot, which is not that far away. Pentecost is Pentecost is hardly recognized in most like non-liturgical Episcopal or Lutheran or Episcopal. Yeah, these types of liturgical based congregations recognize Pentecost, but most don't. I mean, how many? Well, I won't even ask. But but just because the majority of the communities out there are not recognizing Pentecost. Do you think that means that it has not, this whole thing I'm talking about, and, and, and tongues and the Holy Spirit, do, do you think that's had an impact in the Christian world? Have you ever heard of the Pentecostal movement? Or charismatic Christianity? Or the Assemblies of God? I mean... There's, there's, a, there's a lasting, massive theological effect. And the end, the end of Judaism and the synagogue that day, and the beginning and birth of the church and Christianity, supposedly, calling Peter the first pope, um, it's a theological shift that has lasting implications. And it looks like this. These are the end and the beginnings. And I'm closing this out for you right here. I said something died, something ended, something was born, something was birthed. And in many, many, many minds, it looks like this. The end of Torah the beginning of the Spirit, the end of the letter of the law, the beginning of the Spirit of the law, the end of the Pharisaic rigidity and legalism, the beginning of where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The end of dead works religion, the beginning of spirit-filled relationship. I, I don't have a religion, I've got a relationship. And ultimately, the end of this 
legalistic, liturgical sterility and the beginning of operating in the gifts, brother. Amen. The Spirit is released and all of that dead, gross Jewish stuff is gone. The, in essence, everything that Shavuot was has been supplanted, to use a word, by Jesus himself, by Pentecost, and by the new church. And that's not good. So over the next few weeks, we'll explore the spirit a bit from a Messianic Jewish perspective. We've actually sort of done this before, but uh, I don't even remember it. So I know you don't. Because like the disciples, when Yeshua told them, hey, just hang out, guys. Wait here. Something great is coming. I still live my life like that for Shavuot. It's, it's so strange. We're counting the Omer. We're doing these days and trying desperately to not miss one of the days and still usually missing one of the days or more. But I still look with that sort of same expectation that over this time, and it's what Darren talked about last week, it's about the fact that what do you want out of this? What do you want? What, what change do you want? Do you want to be better? Do you want the Spirit of God to actually do something for you? Would you like more of the Holy Spirit, which sounds so very Pentecostal and charismatic to say, but don't we? And Messianic synagogues, for sure, have been accused of being dead and lifeless and not spirit-filled. I wholeheartedly disagree about this one. But we could always use more. So, you know, I really think, like, I, I, I'm, I'm with the disciples. I'm still waiting. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't just run out. It's not like it's a measuring cup and God says, okay, you can have exactly that much and that's it. You can have a, a, a lot of energy, spiritual energy. The Spirit guides you in so many different ways, even in, believe it or not, learning. Learning, which is something we like to do. So, I'm sorry, I completely lost my point. I would like for us to be moving towards Shavuot with, with great expectation of, of new power and new growth and, and new things, especially in the times that are surrounding us right now. I mean, my goodness, we need it so badly. I long for, for more of that for you and for me for sure. But if we're longing for more of it, I think it would be really important for us to know what it is and what it isn't. That is the power of the Holy Spirit and, and how it works and what's it for and what we should be looking for and what we should do with it. Or better phrased, what the Holy Spirit will do with us. Amen? You know, I forgot to say this as I was sharing that, but I don't want to just like constantly be giving the appearance of being critical of everything that happens if it's not Messianic or Jewish. 
It's, it's important to me that we have and maintain good relationships with all of our brothers and sisters in Messiah. I sense that, you know, sometimes, especially in teaching series, it does tend to focus on shortcomings and, and perceived failures and different things like that that happen. I want to always maintain an uh, attitude of humility as I teach, because I know that we don't have all the answers and that there are so many things that we thought we had, what we'll think we have right. And Messiah will come and say, as my dad loves to say, you got about 1% of it right, but you know, really good try. I really appreciated you giving it your heart. So I don't want to, um, for you guys and for anyone who's watching, I'm certainly, and it is my nature to be sarcastic. Um, and maybe I shouldn't, but I don't know any other way to be. I also got that from my dad. So we're going to be approaching everything with humility, but it is important sometimes the truth hurts, you know? That's just the way it is. So um, I also had a really interesting experience with a guy across the street who came over to tell me it was Israel Independence Day. And I, I, I knew that, but... <laughs> He then proceeded to tell me he's from Hungary, and he proceeded to tell me about his grandfather, the raging anti-Semite, that made his father into an even more raging anti-Semite, who fought during the Holocaust during World War II uh, in a Hungarian, some type of military, pretty high-ranking. And one day, he told me when I was six years old, my father, I could hear him. He was sitting in his military uniform, and he had all his ribbons and awards and everything. And he, he was working at his desk on something, and he opened up the window and just started yelling and shouting. And out in the courtyard there along the river, uh, we lived in a nice place, he said, along the Danube in Budapest. He said... He was yelling all these insults, and I looked down, and it was elderly women and Jewish men and children, and they were all being herded together along the edge of the river, and he was yelling at them and telling them what filthy, disgusting Jews were, and they were getting what they deserved. He was six, and as he began to tell me this story, he began to weep, and he, that is the place where that very day the Nazis executed all of those people, women and children. And if you go to Budapest today, along that section of the river are these shoes, a monument to all these Jewish people. And a man, oh man, oh man. He was crying and he said, I was six years old and I'll never forget it. And he said, I have lived my life for the Jewish people. He's my across-the-street neighbor. And I knew him, sort of. But I didn't know his real story. And it made me think of all of you. Because I know that you are all, we are all in it together. And I'm so very thankful for all of my brothers and sisters that stand in the room each and every week as we lift up and exalt God and exalt Messiah Yeshua and long for his return. I'm thankful for you.
Shabbat Shalom, my friends. Enjoy what looks to be a beautiful, beautiful day.